Hello you, tuning in to Psychomedy. It's Rafaela here from ThreadUp. ThreadUp brings exciting new changes to its services in direct response to what we learned while supporting comedians and creatives through the crisis with their mental health and including those who lost their income. Check it out at threadup.co.uk and get in touch to arrange your therapy that supports creativity. Comedy. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a subject I've been studying for 25 years and a quarter of a century of studying the fascinating way our minds work on and off stage alongside being a stand-up for the last 10 years has led me here today discussing the psychology of comedy with today's very special guest, the fantastic Joey Page. Hello, Joey. Hello. Hello. So, as normal on Psychomedy, we won't be looking at each other for the duration of the chat for the first time in a while. My guest here, Joey, has joined me in person on the Psychomedy sofa. So, Joey, it's great you're here in person for the first time in seven months. How are you feeling today? Um, I'm all right, mate. Yeah. Good. I think. <laughs> so, it's fair to say, we've just been talking about it, a lot of uh, the world, not just the comedy world, is struggling. What kind of transformations, if any, have you gone through over the last six or seven months mine mine's kind of been work related in insofar as uh, like i can plot it's like i've had like four different lockdowns essentially like the first two months i was so like strict with myself and i was like right i'm going to use this to finally stop being so bad at working and time management and like stop procrastinating mm. and I really almost did it like I was at school I had like little lessons I'd do this for a couple of hours then this <laughs> and I wrote loads of stuff like stand up and a script and all this kind of stuff mm. and then about three months in I just was like what's the point none of this is going anywhere is it <laughs> <laughs> and then drifted for a bit and then started a different project and then I think the toughest part has been like I'm I'm not mates like really good mates with lots of comedians like i've still got my all my best friends pretty much are my best friends from school mm. apart from like a handful of people i've met along the way but my core group of mates has been since i was like 11 or 12 yeah and they've all got normal jobs so it's like it's been this tough period the last couple of months where the government money's run out and they're like you come into the pub because their lives are the same except they work from home and they have to book a table in a pub. <laughs> and you go, well, no, I'm not, because the government gave me a £1,000 to last me till who knows when. <laughs> so uh, that's been a bit, you feel a bit marginalised, I think. But now, maybe we're all going back into lockdown, and selfishly, I'll be like, good, we're all back in the same boat again. <laughs> yeah, I say this on stage sometimes now, that a lot of people have had it hard, but let's face it, some people have had it fucking easy. <laughs> Yeah. For the last six or seven months, if you've been furloughed and everyone around you is healthy, then some people are having a great time. Mm. So 
So when it did start to drift in that middle period, did you? What do you mean? Do you, were you just doing nothing? Were you I was struggling? Doing nothing, just going out. Well, not really going. But it was like when the weather was nice as well. So it was like, oh, let's just go to the park and get drunk <laughs> as often as possible, like a very trendy tramp <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Um, but I, no, you're right. Like my family are all are all okay, and so there's not really any. I could have it a lot worse, obviously, but it's it's. I think. Yeah, where it drifted, I just didn't have really have any motivation for a little bit. And then I was like, but also that's okay. You yeah. don't know when we're ever going to get this again. And it turns out we're going to get it again right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope not. No. I sometimes feel like a trendy tramp. Um, <laughs> I can't, sometimes I keep my tracksuit on all day because I'm like exercising or whatever, or I try and exercise mm. at one point in the day. And sometimes I'm just walking past the guys that hang out outside Hackney Town Hall drinking alcohol and i just think i'm only five seconds away from sitting on a bench next to these guys <laughs> and saying how you doing yeah you're only uh some tired legs away from sitting down <laughs> but you've got yourself busier again over the last few months doing twitch mm. tv yeah. avid fan of twitch obviously i've watched every episode <laughs> um along with everything else on twitch um, but we talked about it the other day and it's going really well for you, so that's, that's I good. don't know about that. It's, well, it's going. going well. It's going. Like I think <laughs> it's happening. It's a I thing. think there's a line between it's going well and it's keeping me busy and stuff me worry about life isn't going well. It's like yeah. dis- the distraction of it is almost as valuable as the goal. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well no, totally. That's that's important. You know, you you do have two very clear decisions when you're feeling like this because we were just talking about I'm feeling a bit low and you have to or I have to kind of force myself into it feeling low as in you know lockdown possibly coming back more work being cancelled and you just have to force yourself into these things just for as you say just for your own mental health if Mm, not um, to feel useful like that's the thing especially if you look for a part-time job or whatever and you can't get it because obviously I haven't done a part-time job in like 15 years, so I'm not I'm not quite uh, suited to many. Yeah. As opposed to like some some students or some people that like do bar work or work in hospitality, like they are that's that's what they do. So it's like you can't just go into their world and take their part-time hours. Yeah. Because yeah. they're just not going to give it to you. Yeah. So it's like ah, oh, you have to do something just to feel like work is about more than money. I think sometimes. Just to feel useful, do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. But then I think, why don't I just read more or do something like that? (laughs) But, I don't know. If only it was that easy for a, well, for a comedian particularly, I guess, just to not do the thing that makes us happy. I mean, I'm assuming actually doing those things makes you happy, doing things like Twitch gigging. That is a release for you, is it? Yeah, I think it's more maybe a release of guilt. Like, I feel like if I don't do stuff... then I'm like, oh, I feel like I should be doing something. So it's mm. it takes away that, oh, you're just being lazy. Yeah, but is there anything that kind of, it gets you down if you're not doing these things, you know? It's, it gets me down if I'm not gigging. It gets me down if I'm not writing, ultimately. As as fun as it is, drinking with those guys outside Hackney <laughs> Town Hall, it's after five minutes I'm thinking, I'm feeling a bit sad now, I need to go and write something. I need to, do you need it in that way? Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I have to be creating something or working on something. Because mm. it's just like, this later on this month, I don't exactly know when, but at some point in this month, I've been doing stand-up for 15 years. Mm. 
So it is, yeah, it's like a part of your psyche. So, But I also find to write stand-up, you have to do stuff. Yeah. And if you're not doing much, there's not much to look at. <laughs> which is why I think all my new material has been about TV, because I've watched a lot of TV. <laughs> it's very good, your new material about TV. Oh, thank it's, you. Um... So how about in terms of anxiety about where we're heading or anxiety over the last six months? How have you... How are you generally with anxiety? You all seem quite chilled and not particularly anxious. Yeah, you know that saying, um, don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. I don't really sweat the big stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Because I just don't, like the news, I I know it sounds bad, the news just doesn't interest me. (laughs) And like, yeah, I'm not an idiot. I know what's going on and I know like who's the good guy and who's the bad guy in politics (laughs) and all this kind of stuff. And I know what's right and what's wrong. Who's the bad guy? Uh, Trump. <laughs> All How dare of them. You. Oh, who's the good guy? Controversial. I don't know. Uh, who's who's the who's the good guy? I think is more to the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I like my whole my whole shtick. The kind of comedy I enjoy, the kind of comedy I make, is always and probably always will be pretty much escapism. Yeah. Because that's what I like. I like to escape into my into these little worlds, whether it's like through music or you know, what I read, what I watch, it's always, like, the last book I read, which has taken me about three years to read, (laughs) I'm still reading it, is uh, this astronaut sort of biography. But it's like, that's because it's escaping me to being in space. It's like, I wouldn't normally read an autobiography, per se. I would maybe read fiction if I was going to read anything. But, yeah, I like to escape to places. Yeah, nice. I don't know what I'm escaping from, just boredom, I think. Yeah. Well, that's what I you know, saw when I saw you on stage again last week. It's like your type of comedy really fires me up and was firing the audience up because it is escapism. It is what people, you know, you know, obviously we need different types of comedy, but it is, I think it's hit a sweet spot that everyone's coming out. They're so grateful to be out and they're ready to escape rather than have someone particularly going on at them about how sad it all is. Or the yeah, news and like, I think also, and obviously... Everyone is entitled to do whatever they want and everyone's got different tastes. Mm. And But for me, it's like, I didn't even think to write any coronavirus-based stuff. Mm. A, because I was probably, because I'm quite optimistic. So I was probably quite optimistic it would be gone soon <laughs> at the beginning of lockdown when I started writing yeah. my new stuff. And B, I was just like, well, why would I want stuff that's got a sell-by date? My new stuff is quite rooted in normality, but that's because that normality doesn't exist at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm thinking about what it's like to be out in the world, which you can't really be. Yeah. But yeah, I just think like, I don't know. I'd rather just write about things as if the world was normal. Yeah. So do you not watch much news? No, hardly any. That's good. You know, I maybe mentioned this before on this podcast that, well, I mentioned it in my recent show that, you know, there's there's one or two mates and people I know that don't watch any news and they're some of the happiest people I know. They don't watch... Mates or, or com- like comedian mates? One who used to be a comedian and a personal trainer and oh, they okay. just don't watch the news. They've never read a newspaper. Never. Oh, no. I and they make a point of it. And they remind me of you to a certain extent in that, you know, you have a more free spirit you you think in a different way you can write about different things because you're not bogged down with oh can i actually talk about going into space because people are dying and they're not you know we shouldn't talk about going into space at this stage but of course we should there's lots of other things going on in the world and we need escapism yeah i think so and also like i'm pretty lucky that my my wife is 
always looking at the news. So if I need to know <laughs> anything, she'll tell me. Yeah. <laughs> she'll let me know. Yeah. Yeah, well, talking about um, gigging and seeing you a week or so ago, it was... Yeah, you are quite chilled. We were there with a mutual friend of ours, who I won't name, but he's a very experienced comic. You know, he's been on this podcast. I'll narrow it down now. I'll describe him. He's a high-profile <laughs> high TV name, successful, is, yeah. Edinburgh nominated. But the one thing he was saying was, because uh, he was on, I was gigging with him the week before, and he was saying he was just nervous the whole day, and you contrastingly were just like, nah, I'm, <laughs> I'm fine. Is that, uh, is that the case? Are you always pretty, pretty No, cool? not, not really. Like the, the, so the week before, I had my first gig back, mm. and I was nervous, but I was also really excited. Yeah, but I was, I was, and I think all of these things are pretty close emotions. Like being scared or excited or nervous, they're, they're not that far away from each other. Yeah. Um, but I was obviously nervous that if it went badly, then that confirms all your fears of like, oh, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am, or mm. maybe I've lost what I had in the mm. last six months because this is a bit of a long, a long way to go for this answer, I think. But. Oh. Maybe it's worth saying. Like, I feel like I almost started again five years ago. Mm. Like, I was very close to giving up because, essentially, I got given too many opportunities too early on. I wasn't ready for them. Mm. And even though, like, I didn't have on the Buzzcocks, I did really well on it, but that was just, like, mucking about and, like, bouncing off of some other people. Yeah. But then my agent would send people to come and see me, like, TV people doing stand-up. And because I was obsessed with being surreal and I was brand new and I was just like a bit cocky because I was on telly and I'd only been going about three years, Mm. I would die most of the time. And so then that almost buried my whole career, like took a few years for that to catch up. But then all of a sudden I couldn't get gigs in a lot of places unless they were like alternative comedy nights. Mm. Uh, Couldn't get an agent, couldn't get opportunities. And I had this very high watermark of never mind the buzzcocks to sort of always look up at and go, well, I'm never going to fucking get back there, am I? And so I was like, right, I'm probably just going to, maybe I'm just done. I'm like a a footballer that starts really young and then is like (laughs) knackered by the age of 23. Do you know what I mean? And so my wife, who I just started going out with at the time, she was doing a show in Australia at Perth Fringe. And she was there for six weeks. She was like, why don't you come and visit me? I was like, I can't afford it. And she was like, right. The flight's off against tax. I was like, okay. And then <laughs> I got some gigs and then someone dropped out of a little run. So I did like a five-day run and just um, it was just lucky that my buzzcocks had been on like the week before the festival started. Mm. So my five nights all sold out. There's like 100 people each night in the room. And I just did like a best of all my stuff that I'd done up to that point. It went really well, gave me the confidence to then draw a line under that and be like, right, I'm back to a level where I feel like I can be a good stand-up, but I don't necessarily know if I want to carry on being so stringently surreal or whatever. So I just drew a line under all that material and was like, right, I'm going to start again and I won't write in any particular way. I'll just write what comes to me and what I think is funny and what I can think of. Mm. And so I feel like five years ago I started again and in that five years... I've gotten much better at handling nerves because I always used to get quite nervous. Um, and just being quite sure of myself because I know that I've done the homework yeah. for that gig. 
And I yeah. actually read a really, really useful thing when I was in Edinburgh two years ago. It was some sports kind of psychology thing about, uh, it was by this American football coach. And it was just an article in something saying like how these big players handle the pressure and what the good coping mechanisms are. Mm. And so I always pretty much implement them to the point they've become like a bit of a habit. Mm. So it was like, in the lead up to the gig, you're not going to remember anything new. So it's pointless trying to cram, remember the material into your mind because you've either remembered it earlier on when you were when you were training for the gig, if yep. you like, or you haven't done your homework and you're not going to remember it. But that half hour, hour before, nothing new is going to stay in your brain. Mm. So then it's just about being as relaxed as possible. And whether that means being relaxed to ignore what's going on in the room because you think it's going to affect how you might be... Like, if, you, if you're worried about something, the worst thing you can do is think about it. So you just try and ignore that. Mm. So, like, I always like to almost be chatting right up until I go on because I'm not thinking about what I'm about to do. Yeah. Because I know I've done the work that I know I'm going to be all right once I get up there. Yeah, yeah. But this is all from this article that I read. I wish I could still find it, but I was like, it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then, like, there's things that can impact the gig or that can make it go badly in your mind, but they haven't actually happened. So you're like, oh, well, what if I get heckled? <laughs> but there's no guarantee it's going to happen. So it's pointless fixating on, well, that might make it go bad, or oh, they don't look like my kind of crowd. Yeah, yeah. But then you're putting that on yourself, whereas if you just kind of go up there and a bit blank and open and just be in the room and just try not... Yeah, so I try not to worry too much, but yeah, that first gig back, I was like, on the way down, I was listening to music and I was really sort of like almost like hyperactive because I was excited, but I was like, oh, this could go shit. But then because that went well, it was just, oh, all the work I've done in the last five years to make myself a thousand times better comedian than I was when people knew who I was mm. has given me the sort of confidence that I can just turn up to a gig and think, unless there's an absolute disaster, yeah. if I concentrate on what I'm doing, then it should go all right. Yeah, no, that's great, man. I remember listening to you on a podcast from a while back saying you'd be analysing the room before you go on. You'd be looking at where the potential maybe trouble spots were or maybe the person you'd be talking to. And maybe that came from, yeah, your different type of material, which you were kind of maybe overthinking it, thinking, well, some people aren't going to enjoy this, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's like a defence because of a lack of confidence yeah. to do that. Whereas now I look in the room, where's the opportunity to get, a laugh that shows I'm in the room with these people rather than just trotting out yep. my first line. Yeah. Whereas I used to go, right, where's this gonna where's this gonna trip me up? I now go, where can this Yeah yeah make me do a better job, which is just all confidence, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's and it's great. nice to have material that people can relate to <laughs> so that I get laughs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But no, it's, it's just that whatever material you're doing, it's just a great psychology is just hoping for the best and expecting rather than you know, as as we warned against in, or psychologists warned against in the coronavirus times, or right now, not to catastrophize, not to imagine worst case scenarios. Mm. Really, just hoping for the best is a tremendous tool. Yeah. For um, maintaining good mental health, and uh, because the worst rarely, if ever, happens. Not the worst never happens. The very worst. Yeah, that you exactly. can imagine in your own mind. It's all. It's it's always slightly better than the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, as we're talking about it, let's have a listen to you in a gig from very recently. Uh, so this was from the brilliant Moth Club in Hackney. You opening up a gig there. 
I'm from so far into South East London, right, that it doesn't even have a prep. It's got a Marix. It's not a chain. I know that, because it's run by a geezer called Marrick. <laughs> and it sells, and these are his words, it sells cold drinks and cooked drinks. <laughs> All I'm saying is if you've got any allergies, do not go in there, because he thinks that the gluten free are some guys that just got out of prison. <laughs> so it's nice to be here. Um, what's your name, sir? Mohammed, Mohammed, look at him. What a what a specimen of a man. Like I bet you're like the kind of guy, like a proper bloke, you know, like drink a coke right out the can. Yeah, a like man's man, like the kind of guy that doesn't believe in private browsing. You go on any website, let him look. Nice man, nice. It's a, it always feels very fresh watching you like no one else is doing what you're doing which is a uh, hard thing to pull off with a oh thousand thanks of mate yeah that's that's a really nice compliment yeah um I, I i around about the time that i tried to sort of change i, I mean i'd been working at it a couple of years and then i did a edinburgh show and my mate tom parry directed it oh. and because we're good friends as well but he's also like he He's a professional director at the same time. So I was getting the best of both worlds. Mm. Someone that really knew me, but also really knows how to direct something. And he just said to me, he sort of sat me down and he said, you, because I know you very well, are quite weird. <laughs> so you don't need to talk about weird stuff. You need to talk about normal stuff. And just your point of view on it yeah. will come through. Like with that little bit there, because I was just thinking about it. I was so very pleased when I realised that a hot drink, <laughs> if it was food, would be called cooked. And so, and that's all that is. Do you know what I mean? In there, and like, maybe I'm not saying that nobody else. Are you else telling me it's not true? Are you telling me after seeing that routine so many times that there isn't a guy called Marrick selling cooked drinks in South London? Well, it, but because the <laughs> thing said hot and cold food yeah, yeah. and drink, and then I just it's but, great. but great. Uh, he was just like, if you talk about normal stuff. He said, essentially, the problem you've had for a long time is the main ingredients of your cake mix is weird. <laughs> Whereas, and so most people don't want that. Yeah. Most people want a cake. But if you use, <laughs> if the weird is the icing, then you've really got something because you're putting your weird thing on top of yeah. something everyone can get hold of. And that made so much sense to me. Yeah. And that's, that's probably like the biggest change yeah. that my writing process went through. He was like, if you want to end up, if you want to do a joke on the moon, you can't start there. He's <laughs> like, if you want to do a joke on the ceiling, like you've got to walk them across the floor, show them how to walk up the wall, and then they'll walk back across the ceiling on their own. But if you start them on the ceiling, they'll go, no, I don't get this. I'm not going with it. And that just made so much sense. Yeah. Do you think a lot of that came from your early influences? You know, at, at 11 with a smell of reason more to yeah, kind totally. of recording those episodes. And were you, were you recording them and were you with a mate re-recording them yourself on a tape or something? Yeah. Me yeah. and me and my, I had this friend called Lauren who I just actually saw for the first time in years just before lockdown actually. Mm. Um, but so when we were like 11, we'd watch Reeves and Mortimer and then we'd run up to whoever's house we was in up to the bedroom mm. and get the talk boy out and basically just like, from memory redo the episode 
Or everything you could remember from yeah, that like half just an doing hour or like you know just like our favourite bits and like characters and we'd fixate on them. But Great. yeah, I I wanted to be Vic Reeves. I didn't really know what he was. Mm. And then, like I knew I didn't want to be a stand up because I thought stand up was boring. And then mm. I saw Harry Hill on Lee Hurst's Saturday Night Show, where he had a five minutes every week. Yeah. And so I'd watch it just to see that five minutes. And then I saw Noel Fielding doing stand up. Mm. But I had never saw the Mighty Boosh. I saw Noel Fielding doing stand up. Mm. And then when my mate showed me the Mighty Boosh, I was like, what? This is the guy, that guy that I've seen do stand up. <laughs> I was like, I don't even like this. <laughs> and my mate was like, you've got to watch it three or four times to get into it. I was like, why would I watch something three or four times? And then he was I did get into it subsequently. But when I first saw the Mighty Boosh, I was like, I hate this. <laughs> uh, but I really liked him doing stand up and just thought, right. like, to see that it could be done another way. And yeah. then I just took that too far. But and then also, so the the way that I got into Buzzcocks was I, I was doing a gig for Daryl Martin, mm. a tryout for Big Value, and then he sort of took me under his wing a bit and was kind of so that's just a tonic, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, like he was my agent, and then he said, oh, he was like, you like Noel Fielding, don't you? And I was like, yeah. He's like, he's doing my gig on Saturday. Do you want to come and watch? Oh, right. And I was like, yeah. And then he went, actually, you can do five minutes. And if his fans don't think you're a complete rip off of the Mighty Boosh. Mm and they don't boo you off the stage, then you can stand and do 10. <laughs> I miss Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'm thinking, God, am I really ripping him off? Which, of course, I was. I was wearing cowboy boots, for goodness sake. And, uh, and I think, or oh, maybe I'd changed by then, because there, there was a period... I'd just done... I'd just got into stand-up. I'd gone to Edinburgh to do Amuse Moose's Hot Tartlets, or whatever it was called. <laughs> so I was up there doing... I remember uh, that show. I was you, up there doing... little pants. <laughs> <laughs> doing three five-minute sets. That was the only reason I was in Edinburgh. And I was staying in a hostel on the edge of town. And I was sat in a, sat in one of the bars waiting for, I think it was Matt Crosby and our, our um, green, our stick, as he was called back then, and mm. Joe Wilkinson. And then they walked in, but I didn't see him. And they went, oh, look, there's Noel Fielding. And I looked round to look for Noel Fielding. And they were like, it's just Joey. But they were taking the piss out of me. So I was like, right. I've got to get my own look. So then I literally, very cynically went, right, who do I like the look of? And I was like, oh, I quite like Pete Doherty. So I went out and I bought a suit and I bought a trilby. And I was like, this is my look now. And then we went to see Noel Fielding, all four of us that night. And he's walked out on stage and he's wearing exactly the same hat that I'd bought that day. So I couldn't win. And then, But then, yeah, so then Daryl said, do this gig. And I thought, oh, so am I ripping him off? And then I thought, well, not that it doesn't matter, but I was like, it's not like he's going to be there to see me because I was getting really worried about that because I was on early. Mm. He was on late. He was, it was when he was in the tabloids for always being out, having a good time. So I was like, you know, be lucky if he even turns up to the gig if you believe what they say in the newspapers or whatever. Mm. And about three minutes before I went on, he tapped me on the shoulder. He went, hello, I'm Noel. And I was like, oh, holy shit. Like, I'm <laughs> going to get found out here. And I went on and luckily someone heckled me straight away. Like some sort of like the only probably like chav in the room, and I really sort of went to town on them and like all the all of like Noel's kind of glitzy, glamoury sort of like wonder kids that that love him all really like got behind me from because of that, yeah. and I had a great gig. And then he was like, "Can I see your notebook?" And I was like, "Oh," God. and I was still thinking like imposter syndrome, kind of I'm going to get found out <laughs> for something. And he went, I, and I showed him like. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's how I write as well, like spider diagram-y kind of yeah. situation. And he was like, yeah, there's not many people like us about. We need to look after each other. 
and then he gave me his number and then he said oh I'm working on this thing called luxury comedy and um, you'd be really great in it mm. and he said um, I'll give you a call and then he did ring, he rang me about a year later and said oh do you remember that thing I told you about do you want to come in for a meeting and I got to like work on it and then one day I just said oh what are you doing because I, I was in there every day for filming mm. So I was doing behind the scenes, like DVD extra stuff, like making a little video for it. And I was like, oh, you're coming to the pub after we finish filming? He's like, oh, I've got to do Buzzcocks. I was like, I'd love to come and see that. He said, um, do you want to be on it? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, I'll get you on it. I said, but you fucking can't because you're the only person who knows who I am. And he and I bet him a bottle of rum that he couldn't get me on there and he, and he did. And then... And then I did the Christmas special, and I f so then I thought I had all the answers. Do you know what I mean? But that's brilliant. So, yeah. <laughs> do you want to come on it? Yeah. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> all right. Then. That's how all panel shows work. It's just down the pub. It's just whoever's down the pub that day. Yeah. Well, no, they slid. They slid to come and see me and all this kind of <laughs> shit. But it was much easier than it should have been for me. Yeah. And do you think that, you know, you have moved on from those you know, from those comparisons, no one looking at you now and your stand-up would even really make that Noel Fielding connection Oh, yeah, all. 100%. I don't get compared to him no. at all now. And, and like, even more, you want to talk about the kind of mental health side of all this stuff. Mm. Around the time that I wanted to give up, like, I just had no confidence because I was like, I was, and I wasn't this good, but on paper, I was this good. So I was on telly and now I can't even get many gigs do you know what I mean so yeah. like confidence wise that hung over me for years and uh, yeah like there was a period <laughs> there was a really sort of like tricky bit where like my agent got rid of me I got down to the last two for an advert that was worth 30 grand mm -hmm. and down to the last three for an advert that was worth 50 grand but they wanted two out of the three people <laughs> and I didn't get either of them Shit. and didn't get booked back for Buzzcocks I think it was all in the same week oh god and then I think the girl that I was going out at the time, her mum sort of pulled her aside and went, I don't think this guy's going anywhere. <laughs> and then she was like, I think you should get a real job. And I was like, well, I'm not going to. And she was like, well, I think if we're going to stay together, you need to like get a real job. <laughs> so obviously then you're like, oh no, I really don't know what's going on or if I'm any good. And like, you know, I've always had a bit of an inferiority complex around the industry anyway. Mm. Like I, I feel like, Everybody in the industry doesn't really like me or thinks to look to look at me, especially in my younger days, a bit more like outrageously dressed or whatever. Yeah. Would think on paper, I would look at me and go, that guy seems like a right fucking idiot, mm. a right prick. And so, and then obviously like when, like with anyone, if you meet someone, most of the time they're all right. Yeah. Um, but I always felt like, you know, bookers of things, bit gigs or whatever, just don't fancy me, or don't take me seriously. Yeah. And it takes a long time to change perception. Like yeah. I've obviously got this perception of being this surreal guy that, you know, half the time we'll have a bad gig and it makes the night harder for everyone else to on or Yeah. So I do get that. I think the one thing I've not managed to escape is the fact that I have I don't wear a hat and I haven't done for about seven years. <laughs> yeah. And like every bit of promo for gigs I'm still in a hat. And I'll see people that I've seen in the last year, so I'm 100% sure I've not been wearing a hat. Yeah. And they go, where's your hat? I haven't <laughs> yeah. worn one for like seven years, mate. Yeah, yeah. But I religiously wore a hat, not just on stage, everywhere I went. Yeah. It's like, if I met that guy now, I think, 
Like, imagine I say to my wife, when you met me, I was still wearing a trilby every single place I went. Yeah. Why didn't you say to me, what's that all about? Because <laughs> I wouldn't have, I would have been like, what's going on here if I was you? <laughs> it's people's first impressions. I mean, I get sometimes, it's like, where's your leather jacket? I'm like, I haven't worn a leather, leather jacket on stage for like literally six years or yeah. seven years. And like, it's people's first impressions. Those wheels move so slowly. Yeah, once yeah, yeah. The wheels of perception and, um, you know, that, that hangover can last years, can't it? From mm. people first seeing you literally 10 or more years ago to like, oh no, I know what type of act you are. I'm like, mm. you haven't seen me for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, you saw yeah. me do a five minute spot once in a hat. And he thought I was a prick, maybe, for wearing a hat. It's 10 years later. I've totally changed my style, my jokes. It's like, oh, no, still not interested because of the hat thing. Mm. I haven't worn a hat for seven years. You know? It's... Yeah, totally. And it's like, even with trying to invite industry people to Edinburgh show, they're like, oh, look, we really like what Joey does. It's like, you haven't seen me for seven <laughs> years, so you don't have any clue what <laughs> yeah. it is. And I just find that's the one thing I hate about this industry is that, it's not the one thing, the it's one, one of the things I hate. <laughs> yeah. is that There's only one thing. The more experience you get, the more money you should get, like in any other kind of industry. Yeah. But you get less opportunities and less... All the opportunities go to the people that are least ready for them. And, and I know that <laughs> firsthand because I had that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true, actually. The more experience you get, the less opportunities and less money you get. Yeah, it's like, Come are you comedy, still guys? here? Why don't you just fuck off and stop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I see you being quite honest about this sometimes on... The, the way you post things, it's quite... I think it's quite nice. It's like, look at this. This is great. Really proud of this. Please take notice of this. Any opportunities? Look at this. And it is great. I mean, that moth gig that we played in, the whole 20 minutes is just gold and people are loving it. And you think, are the industry actually, you know, looking at it? I don't know. Well, here's the way I see it is I feel like it's all a bit lazy in terms of we work so hard on our craft. Mm. If your craft is finding the best talent or, you mm. know, then you should at least be working equally as hard. And I think it's just quite lazy that it doesn't happen. Or like, you know, there's obviously lots of box ticking goes on. And as it's very understandable why and correct that all the demographics and stuff are, you know, appreciated and represented. Mm. But I do feel like people are so obsessed with the formula of that over talent sometimes yeah but and this is what made me work extra hard at club gigs because i was like oh do you know where i can be a success because to be sort of like white bordering middle class well i wouldn't call myself middle class but i guess circumstances dictate i am but my values are not my family's very working class mm. but you know to just be essentially like a, a a male a white male in his 30s they're 10 a penny in the comedy industry yeah and uh but the one place that doesn't care about that, it seems, is clubs. Yeah. They just want who's can stomach a Saturday night gig if there's a stag doing, or who's going to make sure who's a steady pair of hands that's also going to be really funny. Yeah. And so I thought, right, if I can somehow become that kind of act, which ten years ago there's no there's no chance I could have ever done that. Yeah. Then I'll get opportunities. Yeah. Whereas I feel like because there are so many white male comedians about outside of clubs and like tv and all that kind of stuff there aren't any opportunities especially also frankly for someone that got given some opportunities and didn't take advantage of them <laughs> yeah because as you say you weren't ready and you were a different type of act then and 
But so still, if, if I was listening to this and I hadn't had those opportunities, mm. I would be like, well, what's he, what's he mad at? At least he had a go. It's, it's not anyone else's fault that he <laughs> fucked it up. And that is 100% yeah, yeah. true also, but... But you're not moaning, are you? You're just saying, oh, no, how, but saying I'm just how saying how it like, is. I also recognise I'm very lucky and it's like... Yeah, yeah. I was also thinking... What was I thinking about the other day? I wasn't thinking about coronavirus as such, but I, I guess it was kind of related that people are dying like they weren't probably expecting to. <laughs> Do yeah. you know what I mean? And then I was like... And not even in a morbid way. I was just like, if I died tomorrow, I'm pretty happy. I've had, I've had a good old go. <laughs> I'd like to have another uh, much longer good old go. But I feel like at least it's been it's been interesting, and I've done some stuff, and That's good, not man. lately, but <laughs> <laughs> but then I almost value what I've done lately more because I'm like, oh, I really worked at something that was almost in danger of putting me out of business. Yeah. In my own head. Yeah. So what what keeps you that positive? What keeps you what drives you forward mentally during these challenges? Because it's challenging at the best of times, mm. trying to get gigs and work and TV and adverts and all the things you've talked about. But at this time, more than anything, work has kind of decreased probably by 80 90%. Yeah. Um, and the government funding has decreased by also 80%. <laughs> so thanks yeah. very much for that. <laughs> what keeps you going? Is it, uh, you know, for me, it's just purely the love of creating, the love of the work. Even if nothing comes off the back of it, I almost enjoy it equally you know in terms of success success is nice but actually creating something good is the happiness for me i think as i'm getting older i'm starting to appreciate the journey a little bit more mm. like you're always doing something that you can be happy with like whether you said whether it's just the creation of something mm. like you said it's not all terrible and it's not like it's terrible until you hit this point of success mm. it's not it's great it's all great but i think the thing for me that keeps me going always is there's that just little spark in my head of curiosity that I've that I was just born with. Like um, I always get reminded when I see relatives and stuff of when I was like six or seven. My granddad was in hospital, and I'd turn up dressed as a Ghostbuster <laughs> with my pack, and I'd go around all the beds and go, "What's wrong with you then?" To all the people in, and then they were like, "Oh, when's when's Joe coming again?" <laughs> because they all like chatting to me, all these old people that are... But I've always had that... Like, I always have to touch things. Or I have to be like, oh, what, what's behind here? Like, I'm always... <laughs> and I think that part of my brain really lends itself well to comedy. Mm. So that keeps me going more often than not. But also, I'm obviously very aware that I got very lucky to get my little go on TV. Mm. Albeit as brief as it was. But I know that I can do it once I get there. Yeah, I'm very happy with how I performed on... Especially the first Buzzcocks, the second one, a bit less, because Bob Mortimer was the host of the Christmas special. So then I was oh, yes, sat. How do you talk about that? I was yeah, sat in between both of them, Noel and Bob, <laughs> and not even like I was nervous or anything. I was just watching them having a good time, and I was like, <laughs> "No, you're supposed to actually be doing <laughs> yeah. something." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the curious thing is interesting, though. The mm. you know, at six years old, doing that, um, we should do that again around hospitals, maybe. And uh, but it is. I mean, that'd be a sold-out tour for sure at the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the nature-nurture thing is interesting there. Um, what, how, much, how much nurture was there? How much uh, from the family have you got this? Or was, do, you, do you think oh, were you born well, with this? And... I mean, this is probably another whole podcast here, but I, oh. think it's, I think it's less nature and more genes. Like, my old yeah. man, although he... Even though he's seen me do stand-up for 15 years... Oh. Um, I saw him use a microphone recently and he doesn't 
He pulls it away from his mouth as he talks. <laughs> like, you've seen how one works. Yeah, yeah. Quite. But uh, like he is always the life and soul of everything that's going on. Mm. Oh, he's brilliant. You're, yeah, I remember them. Um, yeah. And I think my brother kind of sometimes is a bit like, finds him a bit annoying. Like he's almost like a bit of a big, casts a big old shadow, my old man. Mm. Whereas I kind of am a bit of a, and the chip off the old block in that respect of I like to show off and I like to like always since I was a kid but then mm. I think my dad's very good at showing off one on one or in like small groups whereas I'm the opposite if I don't really know people I can come across as a bit moody but I think it's just I'm actually in some ways just a bit shyer I've got better as I've got older but if I'm not sure of a situation I just don't really speak mm. so I think like you know being backstage at a gig is exactly that, and then if you don't know the other comics, and then people think, well, he hasn't even spoke. Like, is he a prick or whatever? I don't know, <laughs> but a bit like that. Whereas my old man's the opposite. That time of the microphone was his was his uh, surprise sixtieth, and we made him do a speech, and he hated it. Right. He didn't want to speak to the whole room. Right. But four or five people. That's like a little mini comedy club in itself. Okay. Do you think you got anything f- from him? You know, because your curiosity seems different to that. The curiosity thing, I don't know if that comes from my mum, maybe, but... Or just the way your mind generally works. Yeah. It's kind of, do you think you were just born with this? Because it is a very different perspective. And I just wondered whether there was any family influence on that or whether you I were just... I know. I think, like, it, I've always had a very strong imagination. Like, as a kid, I used to play Match of the Day in the garden on my own. But it was kind of almost all in my head. Like, I'd throw the ball up and I'd pretend to be one player. And I'd pass it across the garden. I'd run over there, be that guy put it in the top corner. I'd know what the score of the game was as I'd be playing it out. But it was just me and one goal in my back garden. Yeah. And I would rather do that than, say, watch the football. With my dad. I'd rather create it in my own head. And I don't know where that came from. Like, As I said, when I was a kid, I was into Ghostbusters, into WWF wrestling, all things that are not real. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I was never very interested in real life for whatever reason. Do you think that makes you happier in moments like we've all been through for the last you know i know you're married and you've got company but you're happy in your own head as well yeah like it gives you it gives you somewhere to go yeah do you know what i mean and you're in charge of that and i I think for a while on stage i quite enjoyed in some ways touching on that but the pessimistic side of it's like i'm inventing this and it's still not good do you know like the scenario for my character or whatever i'll be like that didn't actually happen. I've made that up. <laughs> and it's still shit. <laughs> it's quite funny. <laughs> Can't even imagine, like, success. <laughs> yeah. Because that's one thing I really love as well with my stand-up is having a kind of John Cleese, Rick Mail breakdown. <laughs> it's one of my favourite things to do. Like, when I do a show, the last, the last three or four shows, I've really made sure that I've built a massive <laughs> sort of catastrophe. Like, I had a thing in one show first time I ever did it and he came to see the show and I didn't realise and I've not heard from him since so I can only assume that he hated it I did a thing where the, saying the show didn't have an end I did a thing about imagining seeing Eric Cantona in a Sainsbury's <laughs> and then I was like this show doesn't have an end and I'm really sorry it hasn't got a big ending I said I can't be like Kitson or Stuart Lee where they tie it all up in a nice ball and you go out thinking oh isn't that great and then Cy Thomas, who's one of my very dearest friends in comedy, mm. um, would come on 
dressed as Eric Cantona, but he didn't look anything like Eric Cantona. And then we'd have a chat about, I was like, so what are you, so you don't even look anything like Eric Cantona. So I'm not the Eric Cantona, I'm the Eric Cantona that your imagination dreamt up. So don't look like anything like Eric Cantona because you're, the Eric Cantona in that joke didn't look anything like Eric Cantona. I'm like, right, but why are you here? And he's like, I've got an end to the show for you. And it's like, <laughs> I was like, but this isn't a good end. He's like, but it's an end. <laughs> uh, I couldn't even think of a good end. <laughs> so I've liked to kind of explore that parts of my career, but yeah, I don't know. But then I've done other ones where I, uh, like my most recent one, because my whole show was about getting a bit older. And like, in the whole show, I say I'm 31. And then my wife comes on in and goes, why are you telling everyone you're 31? You're 36. <laughs> um, but I was, I was always picking on a young guy in the audience going, sorry, is this boring for you? Because I know young people don't have attention span, but I'd always pick someone who's only like a year younger than me or whatever. <laughs> and then I'd be like, oh yeah, but you can't wait to be in your bloody phone when this is over. Hey, I'm boring comedy show in the way me looking at Instagram and all this kind of stuff. And then I'd be like, you're not even paying attention. And I'll go... Would it be more helpful to you if I was dressed as a phone? <laughs> and I'd get dressed as a phone and then really just lay into this guy. Nice. And have like this big breakdown. Or in my space show, I was dressed as Jupiter. <laughs> and I'd be like, do you think I want to be doing this? <laughs> it's going to be great. In a couple of years, half the comedy community will, will think you copy Noel Fielding. Half the comedy community will think you're Stuart Lee. And then you think, well, what the fuck is going on? So I saw Stuart Lee... Throw a mobile phone. I was at a gig. Oh, was that that gig? Oh, we were at that gig together, yeah. I was hosting, wasn't I? And yeah. And it was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. In fact, oh, God, this is where it gets. <laughs> and so, I've, like, he is one of my favourite comedians. Mm. Mine too. Like, absolute genius. Yeah. And I just wish that, I just get the impression he doesn't like me, unfortunately. <laughs> like, I bought him a drink at that gig when he right. arrived. Mm. And then after the gig, he was talking in a group and he, he just wouldn't look at me. And then he said something about like, um, uh, it was something to do with them on the Buzzcocks. And I don't know if he knew that I'd been on it or whatever. Right. But he was like, oh yeah, how dare these people come on and like take the piss out of these people that used to be in bands that are better than anything they'll ever do. Right. To the point I was like, is that a dig at me? <laughs> so I said, Stuart, did you know that I've been on it? <laughs> but and it was the first time in the whole like 15 minute conversation that he even looked at me. So I was like... Oh, it's a shame that he's for some reason doesn't seem to like me because I really wish we could be friends. <laughs> I think he was in a funny mood that night. Yeah, I, I gave him a lift home, and he, for some reason, he was giving me a tour like he <laughs> like I'd paid for a London guide, and he was saying, "This is Holloway, and um, you know, this is Stoke Newington, or whatever." I'm like, "Yeah, I live here." The the other comedian, I, I don't even why I'm mentioning this particularly, but I know you were close with Sean Hughes. Because I was listening yeah. to, I was listening to you on a I think it was I was listening to you on a podcast with him. And maybe I don't know, you were you were mentioning about, oh if I drop dead tomorrow, you know, I've had a good mm. I've had a good innings and talking about people who are in comedy, immersed in comedy and don't maybe are, are not happier outside of it. So yeah, I guess it made me think about Sean and um, and I guess what we what we're all going through now in a way, which is lots of people dying unexpectedly and um, and that's obviously Sean Hughes. And do you think he, what do you think he would think if he could say something now in terms of, well, I had that, that, that life was pretty good or I don't know. I mean, the, the whole Sean, first of all, the whole thing with Sean was, I, I feel really sort of, um, 
I've got I've got quite a big regret about my relationship with Sean insofar as obviously towards the end he turned back to drinking. Mm. And first of all I didn't really realise until I met him one day in a pub, which wasn't unusual. We just wouldn't drink if I met him. Mm. And uh like he saw something in me and was trying to sort of like mentor me a bit in my comedy. and I was and this is where I was going for that really uncertain period and tough and I think also Around the time that I first met him, I think I turned up to a gig. I had a couple of girls with me and went off with them afterwards. And I think he could see like a, a a life that he wished that he could still have in that moment, even though that wasn't a fair representation of what was always going on. But the first yeah. time he met me, that was what was happening. So I, that was the image he had of me. It was like this kind of playboy, <laughs> kind of whatever. First impression. And uh, Yeah, of course. <laughs> and But anyway, took me under his wing a bit and we had some really nice times together. And then... When he got back into drinking, I was going for a really difficult relationship with a girl who had some really like serious problems. Mm. And I was just a bit like, I didn't really have the mental capacity to try and help him in any way. Wow. So, like, I had a few, a couple of like voicemails from him going, You haven't called me back. And I, at the time, I was like, God, you sound like my girlfriend who I'm really struggling with as it is at the minute. And then I think like the last the last interaction I had with him was a voicemail of him saying, well, I rang you and you haven't called me back. So, and then like, and then he was gone and I was like, oh, that's really oh, like, man. but. Was um, that like a day, was that like a few days before or? No, probably like a month before. Right. Yeah. Or something. But yeah. And you're just like, and then I was like, oh, I should call him, but I know he's annoyed with me. And then just right. didn't. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think he would just, I think, yeah, I don't think he, he's not, I, he, I didn't feel like he was the kind of person that would ever judge somebody or he would probably just be like, yeah, everything's all right, just don't worry. Mm. He was at the heart of it for everybody else, very carefree. I guess it was himself that he was was struggling with. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Oh man, that's tough on... Uh on you though as well just well like, not, uh, yeah you know, just but i also ultimately think like if the shoe was on the other foot and there was something after this then i'm, I'm i can't imagine he would be like like from his grave i can't imagine he'd be going i fucking hate him oh no he'd be course. like yeah everything's cool so like i don't feel like yeah we had to reconcile something that we didn't because it was just a very minor thing but it's just like it's a shame that the last thing was a, a negative thing do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was interesting, God, listening back on those. Yeah, it was his podcast, wasn't it? If yeah, people yeah, want yeah. to listen to it, you can still... Guest as his... Yeah, you were on it a few times, weren't you? Yeah, because he just... We had that nice relationship where he'd be like, oh, come on, Joe, you're all like that. You know, you know you're know, you young and you're all... And I, I mm. liked playing up to that and it was... Yeah. But most of the time that I knew him was when he was like... I don't know which way is it round. Back on the wagon. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, because you fall off it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. When he was on the wagon. So it was actually like only very briefly that I knew him back off the wagon. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Indeed. Well, in closing, what's when are you when are you, uh, are you at your best psychologically? When I'm in a place like I I think life is pretty simple in terms of uh if you like where you live, if you like who you're with 
<laughs> this next bit better rhyme. Uh, yeah, and do you like what you do? Like, they're the three main sort of parts of your... Do you know what I mean? Of what yeah. makes up life. And I've got all three of those. And yeah, I'd like my career to be more successful than it is. And I think that's everybody. Even like, you get to work with these big comedians, like the person we was talking about that was at your gig the other week. Yeah. Still not happy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Don't matter how... You always want more and more. You but, get less happy the yeah. more successful but you get seemingly. I, uh, for me, it's when I'm in a place where I can just like muck about and be silly. That's what I like. And I think... Yeah. That's being comfortable in your surroundings and who you're with and you know, like I'm very lucky I get on really well with my wife. Some people don't get on well with their partners. Yeah. And I've been through that and I know how unhappy that can make you and like Yeah. You know, settled living situation and all that kind of stuff. So I think I think I am in a pretty good place generally for life. I just you know I'm always looking to try and take the career up another level, but who isn't? Yeah. Brilliant, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Right, More than anything, you're a, you're a positive force. And, you know, as I said earlier, your kind of entertainment is what people need right now, you know, to be cheered up, to be made to feel better. And wow. you've done that here with me today. Yeah, great. Thank you very much for joining me on Psychomedy. My pleasure. Thank you so much. So that is our show for today. Join us again next week for more Psychomedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK or wherever you get your podcast. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us and any psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hansen, who's not here. Lazy, BA English for Pop People Productions, theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychomedy. Please subscribe and rate and listen back on all the great episodes so far. They're listed and there's video clips and more at psychomedy.co.uk. And if you'd like to support the podcast for £5 a month and get loads of bonus uncut video and more content, please go to patreon.com slash Nathan Cassidy. Follow us on social media at PodPeopleUK, at PsychomedyPod, at Nathan Cassidy, and at the Joey Page. Thank you again, Joey. Thanks, mate. Lots of love. See you again next week.